Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. This week's episode is about the serial killer and child molester, Robert Black. Okay, so Robert Black, I have never actually heard of him before until I started doing the research. Um, I don't know about you, Caitlin. Not really. Like, it's a name that I feel like I've known. And, like, when we started this podcast, everyone was like, yeah, you need to do that one, you need to do that one. But I hadn't actually known a lot about it, so I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Yeah, great. It's cool. Because I just typed in known serial killer Scotland, and he looked like, he kind of reminded me a bit his face of like is it john wayne gacy oh yeah why i don't know if you've seen a photo it's probably not true anyway that's what he reminds me of but i'll start (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'll get to the point anyway so robert black was born in grangemouth um which is just outside of edinburgh um and his natural mother jesse hunter black refused to put a father's name on his birth certificate the usual thing and had him fostered. So he was born on the 21st of April, 1947. He was put into foster care because I just think she wasn't, you know, she didn't want to have a kid. However, she then went on to marry some other person and had four more children. Um, And all I know is from his original birth mother is that she died in 1982. But Robert Black never had any further contact with her or his half-siblings as soon as he was put up for adoption. So he had no contact with them at all. So in the end, he was raised by Jack and Margaret Tulip in Kinloch Leven, which is near Glencoe in the West Highlands. Okay. So he was put up for foster care at a very young age. Now, up in Kinloch Leven, the locals and neighbours, they reported that Robert, he was often frequently and heavily bruised during his childhood. And acquaintances from his primary school says that he was a bit of a loner um, but he had a tendency to bully and he liked to spend time with younger children and he was known for committing random sudden acts of violence so there was a story I read that there was a guy who had a prosthetic leg in his school and he decided just to beat him up you know because he liked to pick on the ones that were weaker than him now At the age of five, his foster father, Jack Tulip, he passed away. He died. So Robert, he doesn't have much memory of him before he was even five years old. He hardly has any memory, which could be the sign of your first red flag because he might have been beaten up a lot by Jack, hence the bruises that they were seen. And at the age of 11, his foster mum, Margaret Tulip, she died as well. Okay. Now, it's said, though, that during the times that, obviously, he was with them, that he was a frequent bedwetter, um, you, you know, your usual signs of serial yeah, killer yeah. alerts. Um, but it was also said that he would get, like, quite a big beating for wetting the of bed course, so yeah. much. So, you know, it, it didn't seem like he had a very happy childhood. Now... Also, because he wasn't that popular, his and he always smelt as well. He just wasn't into cleaning. Like even if his parents says to him, "Look, you need to. It's important to wash." He was just like, "Yeah, yeah." 
nah, I'm not having it. So he got bullied in school and he was called things like Smelly Bobby and Smelly Robbie Tulip and, oh. you know, it wasn't great. But he mm-hmm. was also, he, he wasn't, he was just being a bully as well and he was getting involved in petty crimes and everything like that. So it's not setting him up for something great. Now, as well as the petty violence, Robert was also developing kind of a sexual self-awareness at a very young age. So he admitted that when he was five years old, he compared his genitals with a girl who was also five. Okay. And also, I believe from about the age of eight, he used to push things up his bottom um, and leave them there for like the day. Just completely different things. So once um, he put a wine bottle up there, a telephone handset, once was a table leg. So that was also kind of a fetish thing. He also remembers fantasising about excreting on his hands and then rubbing the faeces in. So, yeah, he also had an uneasy feeling that he would have preferred to have been a girl, but he was not homosexual in his desires. So this is a very confused boy. Yeah, of course, especially for that time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, um... When his foster mum, Margaret, died, it was decided that Robert would go to a children's home near Falkirk, which was close to where he was born in Wies, so that's close to Grangemouth. So it was during this time that his fascination with sex, and particularly the vagina, finally drove him across the line with childish experimentation to criminal okay. behaviour. Robert first attempted rape at the age of 12, along with two wow. other boys from the home, so 12 years old. That is young. Mm-hmm. Now, they attacked a girl in a field, but find themselves unable to complete the act of penetration. So it was a failed attempt. Nonetheless, they did try and attempt to. And the authorities, they were notified, and Robert was moved to the Red House in Musselburgh. So there was okay. no like you know, jail time or anything like that. They are 12 years old. Um, you know, slap on the wrist and move to a different house. And I think the Red House was more, you know, not aggressive, but like, you know, stricter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And also while he was at the Red House, he uh, he went to Musselburgh Grammar School and he developed an interest in football and swimming. And he was actually a really good swimmer, which will come in later on in the story. But also while he was there, a male staff member sexually abused him. So it was a known thing. There was an older person at this home who this male staff member also sexually abused, but he was getting too old and was leaving to, you know, go on to his own house, etc. That happens, I think, when you're 16 in a, um, a boarding house. So then his new victim was Robert. Now, we're moving on a few years at the age of 15. Robert left Red House in Musselburgh and he found a job working as a delivery boy in Greenock, which is near Glasgow. Now, he later admitted that while, while on his rounds, so while he was delivering the goods, he molested 30 to 40 girls with various degrees of success. None of these incidents seem to have been officially reported until his first conviction at the age of 17, when he lured a seven-year-old girl to a deserted building 
strangled her until she lost consciousness and then masturbated over her body. And he didn't even know if she was dead or alive. He was just like, I don't care, you know. But she was later found wandering the streets, bleeding, crying and confused. So she she didn't die, but, you know, she had to go through that and he put her through that. Now, he was arrested and convicted of lewd and libidinous behaviour for this offence. But he only received an adonishment. So, again, a slap on the wrist, you know. Now, after this incident went on, you know, he's 17 years old, he moved back to Grangemouth and he got a job with a builder supply company and he also found a girlfriend Pamela Hodgson so this is when he properly had you know a a sexual relationship and he fell in love and he asked her to marry him and she said yes but then a few months later I think it was by letter I could be wrong there was a few different accounts she called off the engagement and he was absolutely devastated now, in 1966, so now he's about 19 years old, Robert's inappropriate manifestation of his sexual desires resurfaced when he molested okay. his landlord and landlady's nine-year-old granddaughter. Now, the girl eventually told her parents, but mm-hmm. they took no legal action because they thought the girl had been through enough, but they did order Robert to leave the house. So, again, I think with all these things, he's not getting reprimanded so he can just keep doing it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, because of this, he's been asked to leave the house. He moved back to Kinloch Leaven, where he was raised. Now, he took a room with a couple who had a seven-year-old daughter. And as before, he molested the girl. But this time, however, when the sexual abuse was discovered, the police were notified and Robert was eventually sentenced to a year of Borstal training at Polmont. So, you know how we've mentioned Borstals in the past, they're just mm-hmm. like yeah. strict schools. Yeah, yeah. Now, on his release, Robert left Scotland and he moved to London. It seems like quite a lot of murderers do that. <laughs> they move mm-hmm. down south. Now, his abuse of young girls, they kind of stopped for a time because he discovered child pornography. Now, obviously, okay. that's not good in itself, but, you know, it's no. stopped him from doing it with real people. Anyway, in London, Robert found work at a swimming pool, and he was a swimming pool attendant. So, like I said earlier, he loved swimming. He was really good at it. So, obviously, now he's working in a swimming pool. But he would sometimes go underneath the pool, remove the lights, and watch young girls as they swam. And then this went on for a while, but soon a young girl complained that Robert had touched her. And while no official charges were brought, he lost his job at the pool. Fair. Yeah. So again, he's losing his job or he's losing his house, but he's not, you know, getting proper punishments. Now, while Robert lived in London, he spent a lot, spent a lot of time in pubs. And he was always playing darts and he became pretty good, apparently. And he was apparently quite well known. And some champions kind of remember him vaguely. And they only describe him as a loner, you know, a loner who never seemed to have a girlfriend. Now, in 1976, so now he's in his 30s, Robert began working as a van driver. So 
He can go up and down the country as he pleases. He's a van driver. And while he was working, he developed a thorough knowledge of some of the UK's roads. So like, you know, the minor roads that connect to everything. Now, during this time as a van driver, he committed murders. Okay. And this, the three main murders. Obviously, I've mentioned that he's molested multiple children 30 to 40 young girls, and then also the places that he was in. But skipping to the future, well, during his van time, three main murders took place. Now, the first murder was on the 30th of July, 1982. And it was 11-year-old Susan Maxwell from the village of Cornhill on Tweed. So that's on the English side of the border between England and Scotland. Okay, so she's just over the border from us. Now, she left her home to play a game of tennis across the border in Coldstream. So that's practically how much they were on the border. She could just walk to the next side to play tennis with her friends. Now, several local witnesses remembered seeing her until she crossed the bridge on the River Tweed. And then after that, there was no sightings of Susan. Nobody saw it happen, but at some point between the river and Coldstream, Susan was abducted by Robert. He raped and strangled her and dumped her body by the side of a road near Toxeter, which is about 250 miles away. It's in central London. There's going to be some similarities with all of these, okay? Think about the mileage. And also how he did it. Now the next murder that he's going to hopefully be convicted of later on was the 8th of July 1983. So we're talking about a full year. Now during these years and things there's not to say that he wasn't obviously going out and molesting other people. Or maybe he also committed other crimes. But these are the ones that he's going to be convicted from. Five year old Caroline Hogg from Portobello which is in Midlothian, um, just on the outskirts of Edinburgh, for anyone who doesn't know that. She went out to play near her home for a few minutes, but she never returned. So many witnesses reported seeing a scruffy-looking man watching a young girl, which was believed to be Caroline, in the playground near her home, then holding hands with her in a nearby amusement arcade, which, you know, Portobello has that on the promenade. Mm-hmm. So the man was Robert. Like, that's the conclusion. The sightings, people managed to put two and two together. Now, Mm -hmm. Caroline's body was found 10 days later in a ditch in Leicestershire, around 300 miles from her home. But the cause of death could not be determined due to decomposition. But the absence of clothes suggested a sexual motive. Now... She was five years old. Three years later, on the 26th of March, 1986, 10-year-old Sarah Harper, she went missing from Morley in Leeds after leaving her home to go to the corner shop to buy a loaf of bread. Now, the shopkeeper remembered Sarah coming into the shop, but she never returned home. The last sighting of Sarah was her walking towards the Snicket, which is an alleyway that she used as a shortcut just to, you know, get back home. Now, Robert kidnapped her, raped her and murdered her. Her body was found dumped in the River Trent near Nottingham a month later. Again, 
miles away from her home. So those are the, his three main murders, who were 11, 5 and 10. Now, the three bodies were found within 26 miles of each other, just far away from their homes. Mm-hmm. And the police already believed that the murders were linked. All three of them were linked, but they didn't have a they didn't have a, um, a murderer to put two and two together. Now, detectives, although that because of all three victims had been left long distances from where they had been taken, that the killer travelled as part of his occupation, possibly a lorry driver, they thought. Now, mm-hmm. remember, Robert's a van driver. Yeah. And the police, as always, especially with something like this, three young girls, they faced great pressure to solve these crimes, you know. Oh, for Newspapers sure. even started comparing them to the Moore's murders. Oh, so, really? Yeah, which I get young people are going missing and dying. I know that the Moore's murders, they murdered more people, but, you know, once the newspapers are involved, I get it must be quite a lot of pressure for the police. And it was one of the first inquiries to widely use the Holmes computer system. The Holmes computer is oh, the Home cool. Office large major inquiry okay. system. So it's a it's computer with all the information and technology that the UK police force use um, to like put things such as like serial murderers and high value frauds and everything in there. It's a huge big system, but this was one of the first ones. Okay. So on the 14th of July, 1990, Robert was arrested. So this is four years after the last murder of Sarah Harper. Okay. And he was arrested near Stowe in Scotland. Now, the reason he was arrested is because he was seen snatching a six-year-old girl off of the street and bundling her into his van. So a member of the public was tending to his garden and he saw... Um, Robert in his van he got out to I think clean his windshield you know with just his hands and then he saw his neighbour's next door kid who was six Mm -hmm. walking out to go out to play the guy in the garden bent down I think to tend to the grass or something like that and then saw the neighbour's kid's feet lift up from the ground so he saw her getting picked up and chucked into the van and then the van sped off. However, this guy, he took the number plate, he rushed through to his neighbour and says, your your child's just been abducted by this guy in a van. They called wow. the police, who chased after the van, thankfully, and so then they apprehended Robert. Now, the little girl who was taken away in his van, her father was actually one of the police officers on the scene and was the one who discovered her in the back of the van, tied up, gagged and stuffed into a sleeping bag. Wow. But apart from suffering shock, she was uninjured. Now, a search of Robert's home revealed a large collection of child pornography. So, you know, back to the start of his crimes. But they discovered more than 100 magazines and 50 videos. Now, on the way to Selkirk Police Station... Robert told officers that the abduction was a rush of blood. And he added, I have always liked little girls since I was a kid. He said that he had just wanted to keep her until he had done his next delivery. And then he would have spent some time with her, maybe in Blackpool, you know, had some fun on the amusements. And then he would have let her go. Right. Yeah, exactly. So this is quite a fast moving one because a month later he came to trial. 
So on the 10th of August 1990, so that's when he was in trial. That's now, so fast. So mega fast. But as the evidence in this particular case was overwhelming, Robert had little choice to but to plead guilty, you know? Yeah. There's so many witnesses, etc., etc. In light of the plea, the job of the prosecution was simply to give the facts of the case, which the Lord Advocate, Lord Fraser, did, stressing that medical opinion said that Mandy would probably have been dead within the hour if she had been kept bound and gagged in the sleeping bag. So that was the little girl who had put in the van. Dr Baird's report for the Crown said that Robert was and would remain a danger to children. The task of the defence was to speak in mitigation. The court said that Black had admitted to liking little girls but had never before acted upon his desires, which we know is false because we know he just murdered those people as well. Yep. Okay. Now, the abduction had been a one-off and Robert merely wanted to spend some time with Mandy. He did not intend to injure her, certainly not to kill her. And furthermore, Robert had accepted that he was a threat to children and said that he wishes to engage in some sort of programme to get assistance. So, you know, he's playing that, you know, I know I have a problem, I'll go get help, i.e. I've only been caught this once. Yeah. Now, dismissing the arguments of the defence, the Lord Justice Clerk, Lord Ross, described Mandy's abduction as being carried out with chilling, cold calculation. This was, he said, no rush of blood, as you have claimed. This is a very serious case, a horrific, appalling case. Lord Ross sentenced Robert to life imprisonment and told him that his release would not be considered until such time as it is safe to do so. So he's just been caught for trying to abduct a child, well, successfully yeah. abducting a child, and he's now been imprisoned for life, which is a lot, you would think, you know. I, I Obviously, I believe he deserves it because we know what he's done also. But, you know, people who have done more than abduct a child have had less time. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I thought that. Robert's now in prison, but the police and everyone, they think that the three missing girls are connected to Robert somehow. So... He's in jail, it's 1990, and in the hope of getting some incriminating evidence, the police decided to interview Robert. Now, as he was already serving a life sentence, they thought that he might be willing to talk and, you know, just give out any information about any other crimes he had committed in the past. Now, he was interviewed in Scotland, and Robert talked to the officers about the offences for which he had previously been convicted, the part when he was younger, you know, with the slap on the wrists and also the abduction of um, Mandy for six hours. And then also mm-hmm. about the, the all the molesting that went on. So he was frank about a variety of topics, including his one proper relationship with a woman. So, you know, his first girlfriend that decided to call off the engagement, thankfully. He also spoke about his attraction to little girls, the sexual abuse he had endured as a child, his fantasy life and his masturbatory practices and oh, yeah. also about, you know, putting things up his bum. Now, yeah. eventually, the police asked Robert about his work in the van company that he worked for and his whereabouts on the day of Caroline Hogg's abduction. 
Robert fell silent. So when it came to the abduction and murders of all three little girls, he would simply not talk to the police. So this kind of can't, like, you know, makes them sound guilty. But yeah, the yeah. police just had to find their evidence, evidence the hard way. So they had to do it through the old-fashioned detective work. They were going to have to look at Robert's life over the past eight years. So in most cases, when you're having to track a person's daily movements, obviously this is back in the 90s, um, not smartphone life. Um, you, it would be so impossible. You'd be like, I don't know where these people were. But in this case, the police were very fortunate because of the, the what Robert did for his job up and down the country mm-hmm. with a van. So yeah, yeah. from loads of examinations of records, work records, wage books and receipts from fuel, credit cards, everything like that, the police were able to begin tracking Robert's life and Ooh. could connect him. So like his receipts and everything would match up where bodies were found, etc, etc. So this is when, this is, that was in 1990. It took them two years to get all this information. They had to go through thousands and thousands of records and try to put something together um, because they were still getting no confession from Robert. Now, the police had no real choice but to proceed with what they had. So in May 1991, the police submitted the report to the Crown Prosecution Service, who would then decide whether to go ahead with a prosecution or not. So... In April 1992, Black was served with 10 summonses. So that just means he had to go to the court. He was summoned to the court for 10 separate things. Okay. Um, this is quite like looking into it and stuff because um, it was kind of cross-border crime. It happened in Scotland, mm-hmm. buried in England. Um, he was also, you know, people were killed in England. The different laws and everything, how it works it was quite a lot to you know who deals with this and who deals with that and so it took quite a while so he was summoned in 1992 like I said for the three murders of the three little girls um in an attempt to shift the moral responsibility he then told the police officers tell Pamela she's not responsible for all of this so this was him implying that you know his wife not wife his fiance years ago yeah was responsible however it just implied the complete opposite that in the police were like well clearly this breakup of the relationship had him so devastated that she had driven him to murder you know but like that wouldn't go against her because he's the one that did the murder so it it didn't work so in the spring of 1994 the trial took place in newcastle Now, this is where Robert stood trial. He was already on a life sentence anyway, and he denied all the charges. Now, the prosecution, they were able to place him at the scenes and they were able to show similarities between the three killings and with the kidnap of the six-year-old girl who had been rescued. Now, juries, they're not usually allowed to know of a defendant's current or past convictions. So, they, you know, you wouldn't normally be told that if he's on trial for murder actually four years ago he kidnapped a child you know you're not because it shouldn't sway their opinion mm-hmm. however yeah. in this case the judge allowed it now on may 
1994, the jury found Robert guilty on all counts and he was sentenced to life imprisonment and he was told that he should serve at least 35 years behind bars before being considered for parole. Now, this would keep him behind bars until at least 2029, when he will he would have been 82 years old. That's if he was still alive. Now, yeah, yeah. police have also asked Robert about the disappearance of up to nine other girls whose fates remain unknown. They still do because he was just denying it. He, he wasn't telling them anything. And the files on these missing children, on the report that I've read online, it says that they still remain open. Whether or not some of them have been solved since then, I don't know. But also, he was, um, they thought he was connected to the murders of girls in Amsterdam, in Germany, in France, like all across Europe. He was, seemed to have been an absolute monster and they felt like they could have connected him to so many things. Now, that's mad, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. And I, I'm just so surprised, like, I've never heard of this really before. Like, it seems like such horrific things that he's done. But it's not like, you know, the Moore's murders, etc., where they get so much limelight um, that we all know about it. You know, like, we're all brought up to know about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So... Anyway, to cut to the chase, Robert Black died on the 12th of January 2016 in prison. So he oh, didn't, I didn't actually know he was dead. Yep, he died um, only four years ago from a heart attack. Now, um, he, he liked to, I think, describe everything that he did do. He was quite, you know, talkative about it. But one of those. One of those. However, he was also one of those people that wouldn't admit to, you know, killing other people, Ugh. like in different places. So that's there is a lot. I must say, there's a lot of information on him. So I may have missed some of it out. However, if this is something that's interested everyone, I would say definitely have a Google Robert Black, um, and then you'll also see the photo of him as well. John Wayne Gacy but so (laughs) that's the story Mm -hmm. so he's up there with you know the prolific Scottish serial killers Dennis Nelson Peter Manuel everyone else that we've done a podcast for yeah he's um, yeah he's he's up there but he's unknown which you know it's crazy yeah I feel there's really not a lot about him to be honest Mm mm-hmm but yeah, no, thank you. That was Jenny. Actually, I don't know. Yeah, it'd be good to hear from people, see if they actually knew much about him, because I feel like I knew a lot about the rest, but I really didn't know anything about him. Uh-huh, yeah. And to be, it, it wasn't so long ago that, one, he died, and two, that he was, you know, charged for all these murders of three young kids and a huge, like, molested so many. Mm. Um, You would have just thought that he, people would have known. And I would have hoped that, I know that he grew up in a kind of like an awful state, you know. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have a good background, so which has all the kind of you know bullet points to become a serial killer. That maybe if his mum hadn't put him up for adoption to begin with, would he have done all this? Yeah, maybe. But then it's yeah, you never know, do you? No, it's something no one will ever know. I don't think. 